0: Welcome to The Unapologetic Woman. I'm your host, Pyle Berry. With over a decade of a blended experience in clinical psychology and global leadership development, I've dedicated my career and life purpose to empower women to believe I deserve a seat at the table and it's about damn time. But how do you create synergy between who you are and how you lead? On this podcast, we address that inner critic holding you back, release narratives that no longer serve you, and explore how to use your leadership platform to make an impact around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Simply put, I cut out the bullshit. I'm here to share inspiration, practical tips, and have challenging conversations with other badass individuals who are shifting the narrative for all women. So let's stop apologizing for who we are and rise together as the unapologetic woman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Unapologetic Woman. I am really excited because I get to talk to a dear friend of mine and someone who shares a similar space and journey as the one that I have. And, you know, Elisa, welcome so much. I am so excited to have you here. Elisa Adams is a clinical psychologist and an intuitive business mentor And her focus has been on helping therapists, coaches, and wellness entrepreneurs to build a practice by integrating holistic healing and traditional tools. Alyssa, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and also just so excited to see your podcast and hear the amazing things that you're doing.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, I felt so grateful to be on your podcast. She's a podcast host of The Uncommon Couch. And I got to be the very first guest on it, which was such an incredible experience. And this is before I even thought about like launching my own. So, you know, uh, that was wonderful. But Alyssa, I want, you know, our audience here to really know Your journey and know you. And Mm -hmm. what I'd love for us to start off with is to share a little bit more about yourself and, you know, you're a psychologist that's also in this space of coaching. And before we get into the nitty gritties of that, I want to hear a little bit about, you know, what it was and why you felt the need to transition into and, and kind of, you know, work with both areas.
1: Yeah, I will try to give you the nutshell version of (laughs) of kind of how I got to to this place. So I worked as a clinical psychologist for a while. I worked primarily in hospitals. That was most of the work that I was doing. So helping people cope with chronic illness, help them... um, kind of adjust to different medical conditions, doing lots of kind of hospital-based work, right? So a period of time during that experience, I had my own pretty significant health issues that came up unexpectedly for me and were significant enough to really affect my life and my functioning and my work. And I really wasn't able to find the right type of Healing approaches in the conventional system, Mm -hmm. it just wasn't working for me. It wasn't really helping me. It wasn't feeling any better. And I kind of hit this point of feeling really like, uh oh, (laughs) what do I do now? Right. Like I have to really kind of dig a little deeper into, well, how do I find healing modalities that are right for me, that will help me? Like, how do I kind of look outside the box Mm -hmm. to really fight for myself, to commit to my own healing? So, That part of my story kind of led me down the road of more holistic healing and how to integrate them into, you know, more traditional settings like a hospital or mental health care. So that kind of sparked my interest in this really integration of modalities that opened the door for me to have a position as the director of an outpatient clinic of an integrative health and wellness outpatient clinic. Yeah, it was a really great experience, intense experience, but good. Um, My first leadership position at a hospital, Mm. we were making waves. (laughs) We weren't like the most conventional place and we came up against a lot of skepticism and critique, but really believed so much in what we were doing. We were seeing people feeling better, getting well, healing. You know, there's a lot of really great progress. And we ended up having like a really high rate of referrals by the time I left that position. Part of why I'm sharing this is because I burned out hard (laughs) in that job.
0: And that's very common, you know, when in the clinical world, especially working in hospital setting, nonprofit setting, you're dealing with high crisis situations. And there's so much of, and this is something that, you know, Lisa and I are going to talk about today with all of you is the lack of self-compassion. in the world of healing, which sounds absurd, right? It sounds absolutely (laughs) absurd that as a healer, there is such a lack of compassion for self. And there's so much empathy that you're leaning into and giving and giving and giving that it actually will lead you to a place of burnout.
1: Absolutely. I just was... Exhausted. You know, it's that weird feeling that so many people y- that you just described experience where, like, you're so committed to a mission yes. and, like, you feel so like, I'm doing this thing. And it's it like feels your identity. So Yeah, that's all I did for Mm -hmm. the time I was there, right? Like, and then I actually remember very clearly I was hosting like a national meeting where there were people from like the national system that we were in who were coming and I had to give a presentation to them. And I was like, Oh, I don't feel so well. I was like, I'm feeling a little hot. Like I I think maybe I have a fever. And I remember going to like one of the nurses across the hall and she was like, you have a 104 fever, you need to go home. And I was like, I can't, like I'm hosting this thing. So I did eventually, right? Like I left, I yes. had help that was able to do it, but I had mono and it took a long time to heal for it. But I think it's this experience where you're almost pushed, at least I was, or let myself be pushed to illness, right? So like literally my body stopping me from doing any more because I just couldn't calibrate on my own. So I left that job, you know, maybe 6 months or so after that, maybe 7 or 8 months, and I moved into administrative work. So I was doing no clinical work. I wasn't in a hospital anymore. I was doing more just like an office job, which I think like let my body heal a little bit, but wasn't for me. (laughs) (laughs) It just was not a fit. (laughs) Right.
0: What you're talking about is really interesting because again, it's like, you know, someone who goes into the field of psychology or who becomes a medical profession for the most part is because they feel they have their own personal experiences that have led them down that track of like being really fascinated by human behavior or you know wanting to make sure that others don't go through something that they may have seen that has happened in their own families there's so many things that happen and like you were mentioning that it's so purpose driven yeah. there's a purpose behind this because you're seeing somebody heal you're seeing somebody transform and the thing is that you know and this is something that i want to really acknowledge is that when you're a clinician and you first come out of your program and you really start to practice, you know, there's so much of that immediate glamour of like, oh, I'm going to solve and reward so many people, but it is slow changing. So that slow changing, like you're not actually seeing the reward of your work on a daily basis. Sometimes it may take months and months to even see a little bit of a shift. Mm -hmm. And Having that purpose that is driven behind holding on to that, I feel like that is where so much of that giving comes. And then, like you're mentioning, as you transition into the administrative side, you may be healing your body, but that purpose that drives you is now gone. So, how do you then find that middle ground for yourself?
1: Yeah, I I think that's such a great question. Because up until that point, all of my jobs had some sort of clinical element, some person to person, caring, like helping. So it was kind of a weird experience to be like, oh, I guess I just answer emails and look at spreadsheets. (laughs) And I was like, you know, I don't think this is my forte. So I think like, you know, it gave me a little bit of a downtime to kind of hit pause and heal a little bit, rest of my system, but then I started to realize like this isn't where I want to land either. Like I mm-hmm. want to be working with people. I want to be around people. I want to be back in a helping role. So it kind of sparked my curiosity about coaching, really. So back when I was at the hospital, I did a health coach training program and I started to kind of just remember elements of that. And I was thinking, well, maybe I could do some health coaching. Maybe I could do some coaching with people like in addition to my job so that I had a little bit of that kind of clinical people-based work, you know, in addition to what I was doing. And I felt like I always kind of had a little bit of a coachy style in my therapy. (laughs) Uh Yeah. So it felt like a good fit. And I enrolled in a coach training program because so I was also kind of interested in leadership and um, how do I coach people who are new leaders like I was, who burned out. So I started just taking clients kind of on the side of my work and was really loving the coaching. I loved the different frame that we Mm -hmm. had for our, our movement and the growth work that we were doing. It was really action oriented and kind of movement based. You know, I still loved talking with people about the kind of mindset, deeper aspects of things, but the coaching felt like a really good fit for me. So it just really pulled my attention. And then I wanted to learn more about like, well, what are like conversations that people have that are really transformative. Like, how does that happen? So I started to kind of dive into more and more and learning about coaching and, and how to help people in that way.
0: You know, and, and that's something that, you know, just as something to even differentiate is a couple of things, actually I have a couple of questions that spurred from here. One is the difference between coaching and therapy. And the second piece is, and this is something that we'll probably dive into a little bit is around how there's such a stigma around in the therapeutic world or the, you know, mental health world around coaching and myself as a, you know, former clinical therapist that transitioned out, moved into coaching and moved into similar space where it's like providing new leaders with helping them and seeing the difference between how to be a leader to their teams and leaning back on their empathy. But I want to ask you, you know, if you could actually give that difference and how do you explain it to, you know, women that come work with you because the women who are coming to work with you are women that are trying to expand themselves outside of their clinical space. They Mm -hmm. see you doing it successfully and now they want that support. So how do you help them see the shift between coaching and therapy?
1: yeah what a great question. I feel like I talk about this so much with my clients because I hold the belief that therapists are actually really well suited to be great coaches and absolutely. that absolutely it's, it's just a short leap really to kind of translate your skill set in a different way and put on a coaching framework. So I do work with clients who sometimes are building hybrid practices where they're offering therapy and coaching. so we're getting really clear on the differences and then I often work with folks too who've made like a full leap into coaching. Um, which is really cool to see, too. So usually I'm talking about it in the very like nutshell kind of bottom line <laughs> version is that you know therapy, we're often talking about reducing symptoms and bringing someone back up to baseline and mm-hmm. helping them improve their functioning from a set of symptoms that they're experiencing. Usually, it's diagnosis based. That's kind of the house that it's in. we're We're working to reduce symptoms to improve functioning. It's guided by a diagnostic impression. That's kind of that space. Coaching to me is more around like creating a preferred future. With someone. So you're kind of like building skills. You have an eye on a goal and an achievement, something growth oriented that the person is kind of like growing into or wanting to hit as a target. It's really like very intentional design of their life, their future, their career. It's not diagnosis based, of course. So I think it sometimes just opens the door to work with people who like wouldn't typically present to therapy, who need support in a different way and at a different point in their journey, it's still incredibly valuable to support people during those times as well.
0: Absolutely. You know, what I find really interesting is working in coaching space versus therapy and the therapy that, you know, that I remember I used to work on was part of it was working with severe psychosis. So it was definitely was high diagnosis. The other piece though, in more of the family setting was to uh, strength base. So it was really avoiding any form of diagnosis, but absolutely it was addressing some of those underlying symptoms, visiting your childhood, bringing you back to a place of acceptance and awareness. While with coaching, you're getting to work with individuals that don't necessarily need that level of support, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but what they are feeling are a little lost in, you know, I know what my purpose is. I know where, but how do I cultivate this? Yep. And having that person who can really hold you accountable that can, because ultimately it's, a lot of it is also like those same limiting beliefs are showing up Those same blocks are showing up. And, you know, something I wanted to ask you about and talk to you about, you know, to kind of reverse it a little bit is how did you, find acceptance from being a therapist and being a psychologist and moving into coaching. And, And what I mean by that is because of that stigma around, you know, well, coaching, it's not accredited. It's, you know, do people really know what they're doing? If they're coaching, then they could potentially harm somebody if they don't know what they're licensed in or whatever it may be. How did you find your way into this place and create acceptance around it?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. I feel like I've always sort of marched to the beat of my own drummer a little bit. (laughs) So there's this part of me that was sort of like, ah, people will think what they want, right? Like, but I have to do what's true to me. And I think that like, sometimes we just don't like things because we don't understand them or we kind of see the, not the best of what the coaching field has to offer out there. Or maybe there, you know, is it true that there are some coaches doing things that maybe aren't so great? Of course, right? Does but that that's in any
0: space, right? That's in all like, spaces. That's in yeah. all spaces. Like you're going to find doctors that are have malpractice.
1: I totally agree with you. So I think like, helping also some of the therapists that are open to it to think about, like, there are also really well-trained, really Mm -hmm. excellent coaches who just prefer to help in this way, right? Right. It's like they prefer to have this different frame around the work that they're doing. And what's wrong with that, right? Like, we all have to kind of guide our, our own path around, maybe you love working with people to develop executive presence and to be confident in a boardroom, right? Like maybe that feels makes you feel really passionate. Well, that feels like something that fits a little bit more securely in the coaching world. Like why not Mm -hmm. follow that interest and go do that here? So I think helping to break up some of the rigidity around like, hey, you can actually do both or you can switch or you can use your helping skills in all kinds of different ways. It doesn't have to feel so rigid, you know, and, and kind of letting people have their own reactions, right? Like if it Feels really not good to you, and like maybe it's not for you. No problem, right? But we're going to be over here doing it, and it's going to feel really good. So I think like just helping people sort of see too that um, there's more possibility out there for them than maybe they even think that there is. And one of the interesting things I quote too is that like the ICF, the mm-hmm. International Coach Federation, has this you know, they do like a coach survey. I think the last one was from 2016, but there's a really high percentage of people who also offer counseling and coaching and mm-hmm. people who have um, advanced degrees who are doing coaching. So like sometimes I'll show some of that evidence to, you know, the therapists who are considering doing it for work. And I was like, you can join this community of coach therapists. Like we're, you know, we're here, we're, we're establishing and evolving the fields into this Mm -hmm. different thing. So it's here. If you want to come over here, (laughs) you
0: (laughs) You bring up a really great point about, you know, coaching is still relatively a newer space than therapy. And so there is still a lot more research that's being done around it. And, And yes, the space is getting very saturated, but I always say that, well, if there's a lot of people that are walking into this space, why, what is really creating it, that therapy isn't allowing. And the one thing I can say for myself is that, you know, I still like a huge advocate for mental health. I love supporting the field and talking about it. However, you know, as a clinician and depending on what state you are, you have to hold and be private so much about yourself so you can hold space for your client and depending on personality or depending on who you are, you know, I find coaching as a place where you can truly create a more relatable environment. And, you know, I can bring up stories from my past so that I can help the other person realize like, Hey, you know what? You're not alone in this. Obviously of course, if it's intentional, right? Mm -hmm. Like the story that you bring up has to have and serve a certain purpose, but I want to take it a couple of steps back when you talked about your health and that you were really burning out and Western medicine was just not working for you. What led you even to a position, you know, I know you talked about burnout, but I really want to take this conversation into that place of focusing on these therapists and psychologists and that world that are giving so much that they forget to give to themselves And, you know, how did you see that affecting you, uh, you know, as you saw yourself burning out, but how were you able to build your own resilience and transform the way that you're even approaching your work life?
1: Yeah, such a powerful question. And I think like so many of us who are in this healing space and are also like, go-getters. Like we like to do things that highly driven, volume, highly driven, right? Like it's an interesting combo, especially when we become entrepreneurs. Right. Yeah. But I think like one of the things was to really start to notice my own patterns where I was like, oh, I do this, right? Like I put the gas pedal down all the way and I don't know when to, pull back. It sounds so ridiculous to say out loud, but it was almost like just a knowledge deficit. Like I didn't notice I was doing it. I didn't know how to choose other ways. So I think I had to be really intentional around what is my motivation for doing this thing? What do I feel compelled to do? Where is that coming from? Why? And start to like untangle a little bit more around what do I need to be doing to feel fulfilled and like I'm contributing? And what am I doing from a place of like default setting almost like, oh, I learned this. I have to be doing things all the time. I have to be contributing and going and going and going. Like, how do I unwind that a little bit? So really noticing those patterns and then intentionally deciding, like, I'm not going to take that with me into this next career phase. Like I'm going to let that go. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Yeah. Cause I think like you have this conversation with yourself that like, you're sacrificing for a bigger purpose or something. You're doing this to help, but it's not helpful when you're burned out and you can't give anymore more and you can't do anything. So really redefining that for myself, like what does it mean to support people? Like also, how do I model this for my own clients and, and people I work with? I still find myself sometimes slipping into to working too much, too often, too hard, but I'm very aware of it now and I can kind of like pull back more easily.
0: Everything you talked about is exactly what I think that the culture of, you know, clinical work creates. It's like we're surrounded by each other who are those highly driven, really empathic, wanting to give, have a specific purpose. We will not stop until we fulfill that purpose Mm -hmm. and we engage and enable each other in that space. Yeah. So- You know, when you're in that, and like you mentioned that you weren't even aware that you were doing it, but I'm assuming it's because everyone around you is also in that same mindset and you're just going and going. So for you to take that moment to stop and think about like, how did I make that shift? I mean, you're literally having to apply exactly what you preach to others back onto yourself and make amends with it. But that guilt of, you know, taking care of myself it's so strong because, you know, there's more important work to be done. How can I think about taking care of myself when my client is going through a crisis moment? How do you balance that? And how are you showing your clients in your, you know, coaching program? How are you showing them to balance the two?
1: I think everyone's way of doing it is a little different, right? So I'm always helping them to find the thing that works for them. I think part of what we're doing is creating boundaries and structures to put just limits around giving on your own terms, right? Like being, you know, driven to give and being caring and wanting to like make real change in the world, like all wonderful qualities, like with limits, right? So putting little containers around like, okay, well, when do you wanna be working? What works best for you? When do you hit that moment of feeling like you're being taken advantage of almost or feeling Mm. resentful or feeling something that feels yucky? Like that's information, right? Let's dial back a little bit. What happened here? So I think being in that conversation with them can be really helpful. And then just kind of setting some parameters around, like the very logistical things. When do you want to be working? How much downtime do you need? How much creativity time do you need? How much time with family and friends do you need? And whatever those answers are, it's fine, right? There's no zero judgment, right? We just build something that really does work for you because we probably want to be in this profession for the long haul. So we need to set up structures that allow us to do this work for a while.
0: Yeah, I always say, right, like it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And so those reframes and those limits that we have to set on ourselves and those boundaries, those can be also for someone who is quite empathic, harsh words sometimes to hear for themselves that like, what do you mean I have to set a boundary? What do you mean that I already am setting boundaries? And it's like, well, but are they being walked over? Are you justifying them? You know, are you seeing that empathy as a place of connecting with the person and justifying that? Well, let me, you know, let me just do it this one time. And how does that then feed into everything else? So, you know, I'm curious to know this health scare that you had and how you had to overcome that. And that led you into really finding your own space that you're comfortable with, which, you know, the Uncommon Couch as your podcast is, but like really it's also what you do is helping others really find that space where they can give in whichever capacity that they are, but still give back to themselves. So when you're talking to your clients and they're coming over and you're helping them build into the space and you're sharing your own journey with them, you know, how do you see that, shift happen in them like what are those shifts that you see that they finally are like ah okay i can do this
1: i think there's kind of several shifts that i see for them one of the biggest ones is like embracing the entrepreneurship piece of their work right? So like we're shifting into a full ownership over your time, your energy, what you're doing, where you're putting your attention and focus. We're taking an active role and going out there to get clients. So I think that there is this shift sometimes that happens from like all of these habits that we've picked up from training, from grad school, from our placements, from our jobs, that we have to shift a bit when we come into this space of being a business owner. It's different. It can feel overwhelming, of course, right? Like there's all kinds of stuff that comes up during that period, but shifting into this other space around like really embracing the choice that you have. You're at a point of choice around what hours you work, who you work with, when you work, like all of these things that we want to be really intentional about so that you're building something that you want to work in, right? That you're building something that feels really true to you. So that's one of the big kind of early on shifts. And with that comes, I think, a space around like, what are the habits that you had that you don't want to take with you into this period of time, right? What are we going to let go of? What do we need right. to be free of to build something that's sustainable and fulfilling?
0: You said so many gems in, in just that one moment right there. A couple of things that really stuck out to me. One is making those decisions about that. You really get to fine tune what it is and which capacity that you want to work in and That I can assume is also something so overwhelming because for someone who struggles potentially with making, setting boundaries, now I get to make these decisions and they have to trust themselves in making those decisions. And again, it boggles me because, I mean, I came from that world. I had that exact experience where, you know, as I was a clinician, I remember feeling when I transitioned over into coaching and I transitioned over into corporate world, I saw corporate as this green monster. You know, it was like, you're selling yourself out for money. And that's also a big common stigma or guilt factor that happens. And something that, you know, to be honest, I kind of commend the younger millennials for (laughs) and Gen Z is that there's this shift now that's happening about how just because I want to make an impact in the world does not mean that I need to sacrifice myself as well. And I think that's such an important shift that's happening because for so long work that is very much about giving also means sacrificing you. And I think it's starting to normalize a little bit that, you know, when we look at all these like sustainability companies, the social enterprise companies coming out is they're not necessarily saying that we are going to also lose sleep over this stuff. Like we're going to grow and we're going to help everybody else grow and rise with us. And that's kind of the mindset change that you're also kind of creating with your clients, with these therapists and other psychologists and wellness people that are coming over and saying that, how do I take care of what it is that I want my lifestyle to be, how I want to grow, how I want to make sure that I'm there with my family and I'm not a martyr.
1: I think what you just said is so critical, right? Where it's like, We sometimes have this belief. I think that's taught to us in a way too, right? Where like, you have to be almost in this space of martyrdom to be doing meaningful work or to be doing the work in the way it's like, quote, supposed to be done or something where like, it's okay, I think to shake that up a little around well, how do I want to take control back in a way around not only just my finances and being okay with wanting to make more money and, and have things that are important to me in my life and donate and contribute and do other things that feel valuable with finances, but also being intentional about my time and my yes. energy and like who I want to spend my time with and like just being really thoughtful around all of those things that I think were also given these messages around like, oh, you don't get to decide any of that.
0: Absolutely. I think your time and honestly, what I think is your self-worth and your self-respect and bringing that to the forefront that you deserve just as much to be an owner of your narrative and of your time and of like what you want to give. And and like you mentioned the container that you want to serve in Mm -hmm. as it is for someone to take it from you. And because it's a gift, right? When you're a healer, And, you know, and, and when I think about healers, I'm not even just thinking about, you know, someone who's a therapist or doctor, but I'm also thinking about anyone who's decided to be and dedicate their world to nonprofit, because let's be, you're not going into that space to make money. You're going to that space because you feel very passionate about its mission and purpose. And so, you know, even in a hospital setting, maybe someone on the administrative side, not you clearly, but someone else who felt like they're a good fit for that they're still working in that space because they feel driven to being connected to a medical field for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it really is that self-worth and knowing that, you know, I deserve to really show up in a way that, you know, I want to show up. I deserve to feel good about the work that I'm doing, but not at the cost of, Everything around me, you know, the cost of my family, the cost of my relationships, the cost of my own self value.
1: That's really powerful to think about. And, you know, we only have, I'm going to get deep for a second, right? Yeah, like please do. We only have so much time in our lives where I want to bring some intentionality back to. How is it that you want to spend your time? Because it adds up, right? What do you want to be doing? Do you want to be exhausted all day as you're giving and giving and giving, and then you've got nothing left for the other people in your life who matter later, right? Like, what is it that you want for your life? And is there a balance? Like, can it be a both and where you feel like you're giving and contributing and creating change? and taking care of yourself and prioritizing and valuing your time right like can those exist at once i think they can and i think it's a shift though to to think about like there was a moment after i left my job directing the integrative health clinic that i loved so much it's still like one of the most powerful experiences i've had but there was a time after where i was reflecting back and i was thinking like i missed a lot of time with my friends during that mm-hmm. year and a half i didn't really like go anywhere. I didn't do a whole lot that was outside of that job. I forgot people's birthdays. I didn't call my parents as much as I wanted. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember thinking like, yeah, I did this great work and I was given a lot of positive reinforcement for it, which is also a little bit of a like mental game. And also like, oh, I really sacrificed not only my health, but my personal life entirely. So noticing some of those things, I think is just really important to be intentional.
0: Yeah. I mean, Alyssa, you just, you really hit on the nail. I think that one of the things about being someone who's a healer and who has high empathy and is highly driven, who may be type A, like putting all of those things together (laughs) is the piece about, you know, what is your intention? What is your why for being in this space? And are you truly being fulfilled by it? Or is it this thing that you're chasing constantly to get approval about, you know, your worth? So it's really that revisiting, why did I come into this space in the first place? And can I also recognize that this is work that has been going on before I came to life? It's (laughs) me going on after I pass away. So am I giving it what all that I want to, but am I also making sure that I'm giving to, you know, myself and really it's like having the energy to give to the people, my family, like you mentioned, like, you know, forgetting birthdays, like not being able to show up for friends, those special moments in your own life. And how much is that worth to give, you know, that as you know, and I think it really is like a American society, to be honest, more than anywhere else, this concept around, look at me, I showed up when I'm sick, you know, let's reward people who come in. And if you don't come in to because you took a day off for yourself, it's well, are you not committed to this mission? So Mm -hmm. it's reframing that and that starts with one person at a time and creating this community that you've created. So I know that it is really tough to kind of transition out of that space and to create this community that you're creating, Elisa, is incredible. And, you know, your journey about recognizing how, as a psychologist, whatever took you there to realizing how burnt out you were, to then trying to pivot and still stay connected and and then coming into the space where you are now supporting other therapists, psychologists, healers to create the life that they want with integrative tools. And I think that right there is a testament to how, you know, whatever the purpose is, doesn't have to be from one pathway.
1: Mm-hmm. There can be
0: multiple pathways that can get you there. It's just knowing and being true to yourself.
1: Definitely. Yes, I agree. Completely. And to like letting it also change for yourself yeah. because you don't have to want the same thing that you told yourself you wanted when you were 25, right? Like that can change. It's right. fine, right? If your path shifts or things pop up that put you on a new path that feels more right, follow it, like be open to that, lean into it really. So I think even as my business evolved, I was trying to stay open to sort of like where it guided me. And I didn't expect to do like business coaching for people, right? I didn't expect to be in that space of helping therapists and coaches like navigate, getting more clients and integrating these different tools. But as I like started to do some of that business growth for myself, I felt so passionate about well, one, it, it's psychology, basically, yes. just in a different right. way, right? right? And helping people see like, oh, wait, there's so much possibility out here. Like you have this amazing skill set and you want more clients. You don't have them. Like, let's help get your right. work out there, your thoughts, your ideas, the way that you want to serve. So it felt like there was like a door we could unlock for people, which kind of helped me move on this current path.
0: Yeah. And, and who knows, right? Like this can evolve into something new. And that's the other piece is like, what you touched on is like, you know, our minds are set up in a way where they're very smart, but they're equally foolish (laughs) because what we decide to tell our brain is what our brain will filter for. So if we start to look at and explore ways of that, just by exploring something that may be different, doesn't mean you're committing to it. It's just allowing you To explore that there are things out there that, you know, are foreign. And yes, it's scary, but that's why exploring it allows you to dabble in it without making commitments and, you know, getting comfortable with the idea that there is more out there for you. So, you know, you, of course, are being that woman for your clients who are able to transcend between the two fields and the two worlds and really figure out what that is for them. And you're really helping them shift their narrative about themselves and create that life. I always like to ask the question is who was that for you? And, you know, when you have to think about that unapologetic woman who led you into this place where it allowed you to believe that, yes, I can do this too. I love you to describe, you know, first, what does an unapologetic woman characteristics look like? And second, who was that for you?
1: I think that's such a wonderful question. Actually, two people come to mind. But I think some of the qualities were really around like like a deep knowing of themselves, like a deep connection with their own truth and their own Like who I am, I have a solid core of who I am. Like I can kind of shift and move between whatever happens in the, in my life and in, in my professional space. And like, I'm always kind of settling back into choice and feeling okay and choosing my response. Like it's this very, like a graceful power almost that feels like it is true And also a lot of like really owning your voice and your space. Like I am here, I've got thoughts, I'm going to share them. Here's my voice coming out, right? Where you're like in that way where you're not shrinking yourself back. Mm. So those are a couple of things that really feel like the person you're describing.
0: That sounds powerful. I mean, what I'm really hearing is someone who is grounded in who they are and they're not going to be afraid of sharing their thoughts. And being able to really, you know, connect with others who may need to hear that message.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and one of the people who did mm-hmm. that for me was a supervisor I had at the hospital, you know, when I was kind of promoting this clinic and going around trying to get referrals and I'd have to go into these like meetings with all like old men who were <laughs> very traditional, right? Like right. They, I'm tiny and like... I don't think I was very imposing when I went in and she was very like, you know, you, you go in there and you own that space and you own what you have to say, step into that space. Like it's yours kind of conversation. And it was such a powerful, and I saw her do that. So I was like, oh wait, this is This is how you do that. Even in these like high pressure, stressful situations, or I know like it wasn't welcome always for me to be there, but she was such a great model of how to do that in a very difficult setting.
0: I feel like we could have a whole other episode just on that about, you know, how as a woman in a male dominated space or in a traditional space, how do you truly own yourself? audience that may be coming soon. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elisa, I want to thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your journey because I, I really, you know, I, one, it, to be honest, it's very personal as well, because that's a journey that I've definitely come across as well. And it's really nice to have that community for myself as well, to know that, okay, there's other women who also came from that clinical world, came over, but who also share those same traits as being highly empathic, highly driven. And are continuously growing in making sure that they're being compassionate to themselves because that's not easy at all when you're just a natural giver. So I really appreciate everything that you share today. I'm sure the audience is going to feel, you know, very inspired by you. And I want them to know how they can connect to you and what do you have going on where they can reach out to you about.
1: So my website is a great place to start, dralissaadams.com. I have networking events that you can join monthly. There's links on there for that. There's a place to hop on a, a call with me if you're interested in, in partnering together to to do some of these things, to grow a practice or shift or integrate modalities. And I hang out on Instagram a lot too. So you're uh, Dr. Alyssa Adams again. So um, hop over and connect. And I love talking with like other Kindred spirits. So um, yeah, so reach out and I'm happy to, to connect.
0: Thank you, Dr. Alyssa Adams, for being on the show. And you know, I really encourage each one of you to reach out to her. She's incredible, she's kind, and she will truly, if you are considering transitioning away and or having a hybrid version or figuring out what that next step is for you as a coach, as a former clinical therapist, and moving over. I highly recommend Dr. Elisa Adams. Uh, Thank you once again, I so appreciate you.
1: Thank you and thank you so much for having me. It was just lovely and it's great to support each other in this place. So thank you again.
0: Thanks for listening to The Unapologetic Woman. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe so you'll get real-time updates when I post a new episode. And if you really believe that others should be hearing this, then leave a rating or review this episode so others can find it too. And if there's something you'd really love for me to cover or highlight, then head over to my Instagram account at Pileberry, DM me to let me know. I'm all ears. If you want free resources, practical tips, and inspirational stories that I share with my clients, visit Pileberry.com and subscribe to my newsletter. You'll get them all. Until then... Take a moment to celebrate your journey, reflect, and be ready to embrace your
1: next epiphany.